Well, sooner or later, it's going to lose its luster. It's going to lose that jolt that you get from having that candy. I like to refer to it as the Bruce Bogtrotter chocolate cake syndrome. And now for something completely different. Welcome to Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. I'd like to be the first to welcome you to the dystopian future, ladies and gentlemen. This is Tony Dufresne, PhD. This is the Surrounded by Idiots Radio Podcast. So this week, I want to talk about the thing that uh, I've already pitched, and that's the quarantine fatigue. The fact that we're just going crazy because it's it's such a unique and such an out-of-the-box experience that we never thought would ever happen. You can talk about something, but if you've never experienced it before, you won't know how to deal with it. It's like having kids. You can talk about having kids. You can see people that have kids. You can visit them. You could babysit for a long time. But if you don't have your own kids, you don't know what it's like. And it's the same thing in terms of dealing with this particular quarantine issue. And because it's so extreme in regards to our usual life is that rationalization is taking hold and you're now seeing this loosening of isolation for this these quarantine buddies and also expanding the social distancing pods a couple neighborhood families that are together in their pod again that doesn't help theoretically because you just up your chances because you have more people in there that can go out and get infected by other people and bring it back into the pod but that's our rationalization trying to get through this thing. And I'm not going to disparage that because from a psychological standpoint, this is a really difficult situation for anybody. And especially, and I think to the extreme example of my daughter and her husband and with two kids, a three and a six year old at home, and I try to help them out as much as I can, but man, that is tough going. Now, what is making this worse is you have politicians and you have this concept that I like to refer to as a political conundrum. And what that is, is you have a politician in office and they don't want to be associated with something bad. That's why you always hear presidents here in the States talk about the economy being so good when they're in there, where in reality, the economy is a very slow moving process and there's a big lag time. So more than likely, all of the things that were put into play in the economy four years before that are the ones that are taking hold now. Yet they're more than happy to take credit for the economy going crazy and, and, and being successful because they want to be associated with positive things. That's just a basic psychological concept. And because of that, they will be more hesitant to make drastic decisions and they will be overly optimistic to the point where it's not optimistic anymore. It's just delusional thinking because optimism is one thing. Being optimistic means that you also consider everything, but you just decide to look at it from that 51 or 52% that's, that's the positive. But you also take the other negative parts into consideration, which is a part of the life. It's part of the natural universe. Whereas from a political standpoint, that's not the case. They try to mask the severity of it because they don't want to be associated with some terrible situation and then not get elected. Really, So really what it comes down to is it's very self-serving. So outside of the financial burden, which, and uh, my heart goes out to a lot of you guys that, uh, that have either lost your jobs or they've been drastically cut or you've been having to deal with that in your family or, or directly in some other way. Besides financially, 
there are a number of reasons for this fatigue. And one simple reason is what uh, behavioral economists call diminishing marginal utility. It's a economy principle. And basically, it means this. It's like having a favorite candy and getting it every single week because you love your candy. Every single week, every single week. Well, sooner or later, it's going to lose its luster. It's going to lose that jolt that you get from having that candy. I like to refer to it as the Bruce Bogtrotter chocolate cake syndrome. Another example is like Seinfeld for me. Seinfeld stuff like T-shirts and mugs and not because I was a huge Seinfeld fan. And for every Christmas and every birthday, everybody knew that. And so they would just get me Seinfeld stuff, which I liked. But after a couple, three years, I had so much Seinfeld crap and I was still liked the show, but I was sort of off of it and wanted to get some different stuff. But I kept getting Seinfeld stuff. Now, how does that relate to the current situation, to the quarantine fatigue? At the beginning... When we first started this, it was a bit of a shock. So we go through this shock thing where we don't necessarily grasp the entire concept of the change that is happening. So being in the shock, we're a little bit excited and now we're at home and we get to do stuff and we could maybe rearrange the kitchen cabinets, which we wanted to do for such a long time or, you know, paint the room or Build a cardboard fort with the kids that you've been promising them that you're going to do forever. But now that that's been done and you've burned through that already, you have reached a milestone. And it's either one of two things, typically. The first one is it's you really don't have anything else to do. You don't want to do anything else. Nothing sounds good. And so you've reached that point. Or number two, you've got the busy work or the fun stuff out of the way, finally. And now it now you're faced up against that big hurdle or that big wall, that wall that is the continued excuse that you've used over the years to not do something, to not start the project, to not write the book, to not look into a new career. All those scary things. I mean, you're like right up against the wall on that. Because when you burn through that stuff and all of a sudden you have time and you can't rationalize that time away, then you have to face it. And that's going to freak people out. And that's where you get a lot of the fatigue as well, because it's just a shutdown. And then what happens, either self-medicate or keep yourself busy, but then you know you're trying to keep yourself busy, and it's not productive enough for you. It wasn't on that list, that binge watch list, or the build a fort list. And now you're facing yourself in the ultimate mind duel. And because instinctively, Humans have this thing called idleness aversion. We don't like sitting still. All this stuff is going to start eating away at us. And then we're going to start rationalizing that, well, maybe we can have like a couple people over. It's because that's not that big of a deal. It's not like we're at a big sporting event. Or, well, we can go out to a cafe, but we'll just stay like 10 feet away from everybody. But that should be fine. That's where the rationalization is starting to come in because we just can't take the extreme isolation that we, I mean, it literally, it was like us going from 100 to zero. And once the shock is over, it's like getting in a car wreck. Once that boom, that shock is over of getting hit and you're sitting there going, what the hell just happened? And once that's over, then you start processing things and you're like, holy crap, I just got hit. I could have gotten killed. You know, how's everybody else? What's going on? And that's what we're dealing with with quarantine fatigue. Now, I have some solutions to this. The first couple are the no-brainer, Captain Obvious ones, but they work. You got to exercise. 
you have time, even if you have kids around, you can still exercise with the kids somehow, some way. And I know you're like, yeah, right. You try it. Well, I actually have tried it and I've done it. I worked out at a home for 30 some odd years. I wrote, I raised my, my daughter out of the house. I figured out a way to do it and you can too. And it doesn't have to be some formal thing or some hour long thing, but it can be just exercise. Cause if you can get the chemicals going and if you get moving around and you get your blood going, it's going to, first of all, make the day go by quicker. And you're going to have more energy and you're going to feel better because you're going to release all the endorphins. Uh, journal or meditation. Because what that'll do is with the time, you'll be able to sit down and say, and just journal, I'm frustrated, I have this time, I don't know what to do, I didn't know, and just start free writing this stuff. And you will come up with amazing things, actually, after a page, a page and a half, after doing it for a little while. Because it's a powerful tool. And with the space that you're dealing with, with the anxiety, with the existential crisis that you're going through because you have that space, you'll find amazing nuggets of knowledge and wisdom coming from that journal, which will provide momentum for you to take the next step that, you're, that you've been afraid to take for such a long period of time. The third thing is, and I've seen this around a lot, it's like I call it an email a day. And it's going through your the people that you've known or you haven't contacted them or even your business contacts, which I have done, and just going there and just dropping them a quick note. Hey, you know, this thing is crazy and it's it's not a usual thing and I just wanted to see how you were doing and what's going on. I mean, that that's huge, especially given the current circumstances where people are isolated and they're not used to doing that. There, there's a thing I saw online called like five, five to stay alive or something and it's about five emails a day, but I just did one. The fourth one is a fascinating one, and I really wanted to share this with you, and I'm a part of it as well. It's called Folding at Home. Foldingathome.org is where you can find it. And I'm going to put the link in the show notes. But there's a scientist from Stanford. His name is Greg Bowman. What he, he created this program that takes unraveled proteins and tr- tries to figure out and puzzle them together to create solutions to different diseases. They were working on Alzheimer's. They were working on HIV, I believe. And now they're working on COVID-19. And the way that it's set up and why they call it folding at home, it allows you to be a part of the solution directly. Even though you're not a scientist, even though you're not in the lab, even though you're not mixing stuff together, what it does, you go onto the site, you log in, and you become a part of the team. There are 100,000 people now a part of the team. Download a software on your computer. And it allows you to share your unused computer power with them so they can research more potential cures because they need huge amounts of computer power to work through these protein connections. And bringing all these different computers in, they can use that. And mine runs all the time and it runs in the background and it's it doesn't take a lot of power and I don't know what's on. And what it's doing is it's Putting It's connecting proteins and trying to figure out causes and cures of COVID-19. Because when you go on to the website, you can specify what project you want it to go towards. And I specified COVID-19 because I think it's the most obviously needed at this time. But that's a way you can directly impact this situation and become a citizen scientist. The last and final solution to all this is what I call the going out but. And of course, this is the loosening of things and starting to go out, but there should be some conditions on that. Conditions that show your level of responsibility and accountability and your level of caring and support for the citizenry of where you live. So if you have to go outside, at least wear a mask for a number of reasons. 
first of all, it shows solidarity. It shows solidarity in the fact that you're willing to do what you need to do to help. And you care for other people. Because you don't know if you have the virus. There's a lot of asymptomatic people that spread it. You don't know if whoever, whomever else has it. So you're protecting yourself as much as possible. It shows you're one of those people, those dimensional thinkers, those people that that care about other people, that care about being a team player like I talk about all the time. You're not self-serving. It's not, oh, you're taking away my freedoms, making me wear a mask. What wearing a mask also does, it acts as a part of a society-wide effective frequency campaign. Now, if you're in marketing, you know what effective frequency is, and you've probably heard about it before. It's like, it's the thing in marketing to where you need to hear something three times or five times or seven times or nine times. It, it, people have different, you know, times that they think it works, but you have to hear it multiple times in order for it to sink in. And that marketing strategy is called effective frequency. You put it out more and more times and people, then people will start to kick in and listen to it. This is like marketing 101, but that's what the masks do as well. Because what you're doing is the more people that wear the mask, the more people, the more exposure it gets in society and the more it becomes part of the zeitgeist or a part of the culture, the accepted culture. And people give way to that whole freedom crap that they're holding on to. Now, you're always going to get the binary linear thinkers of the world because they'll always be that way. I, there's no way around it. They're just that's just the way that they are. I mean, you know, look around you. But it's a matter of. Working with the people that are in that area between the binary and the dimensional, like yourself, thinkers, to where they're like, oh, well, I kind of want to, but then I feel kind of... So they're still a little janky about going out, a little self-conscious about doing it for some reason. But with you showing that that's that it's okay, with you showing it should be acceptable, with you showing a level of caring and understanding, it models the behavior. You're the adult in the room. Like I keep saying, we need more adults in the room. You are an adult in the room. You can initiate positive change in every single thing in action that you happen to do, including wearing a mask when you go out. So there you have it. My solutions. Exercise, journal, and meditation. An email a day to, to reconnect with people. Folding at home. Please go look at that. I, I beg of you, please go look at that. It's really important. And if we can help out in any way, then we should. And then the fifth thing is go out butt. Be responsible and model adult behavior. That's it for this week. I hope uh, you are doing great. I hope you're safe. I hope your family is safe. Uh, please let me know if there's anything that I can do to help, any feedback uh, that I would really appreciate. Again, I'm offering the book for free. I've, getting, I've gotten a lot of requests about that. I love it. Uh, it, provides a, uh, it provides a discussion platform. It also is my way of creating value, my way of giving back at this time. I'm trying to find ways I'm going online and you know, computers are using my computer fight diseases and I'm giving my book away. That's what I can do. Just email me Tony at Java bud.com T O N Y at J A V A B U D.com. Uh, you can also go to Java bud.com. The website, it's got all the podcasts and all that kind of stuff. I think you know the drill, the uh, flash briefings on Alexa, and I'm sorry, this past week I totally spaced and I didn't schedule any, but I'm going to schedule some today. And anything else, uh, any other questions you have, you can get a hold of me at Tony at JavaBud.com. Oh, uh, the YouTube video as well. I have a YouTube channel up and it's uh, the JavaBud. So I hope things are great and I will talk to you next week. Bye. I'm too tired to pretend I don't want to be alone. 
I'm calling all the 